You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joined by my co-host Rob Rang. Today's episode brought your way by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday episode of Locked On Seahawks. Not a surprise, Rob, at all, but the Seahawks officially on Wednesday announcing to season ticket holders that there will be no fans in attendance for at least the first three home games. That would be a Sunday night football matchup against the Patriots in week two, in week three, an afternoon matchup with the Dallas Cowboys, and then two weeks later, another primetime matchup with the Minnesota Vikings. As of now, all three of those matchups We'll have no fans in the stands. It's going to be very odd to see on television, but we've expected all along that this is the way it was going to play out. I mentioned it last week that I'll be surprised if we have fans for any games this year, but we now know for at least the first three games at home, there won't be any fans in the stands. Yeah, as you said, it's not surprising, and yet it still is jarring. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just the you know when when you think about the way that the fans have become such a huge part of the Seahawks' success, not only obviously at CenturyLink, but but just across the entire country, across the entire world, and, and so it, it is very much a, a reminder for those not paying attention to wear a damn mask, and, and that this is real, and that is it is absolutely affecting everything outside of our own homes and, and so it, it was big news uh, I thought it was interesting uh, during today's telecast on cx.com and on q13 they that Pete Carroll w- was talking about how he wants the fans to still try to be as excited as possible still try to bring that energy I'm not sure exactly how they are going to be able to pipe that in for uh, for the actual games themselves but I think that the players themselves are, are would, would be able to get something out of the energy that the fans uh, the, the 12s out there can still provide for them and uh, it, it's going to be a surreal experience there's no doubt about it we, we've had the the opportunity to see uh, Major League Baseball and NBA and all of that Um, but when it's football it's a whole different thing as as I mentioned especially when you have a team like the Seahawks who have such a passionate fan base I would anticipate the telecasts are going to be just like what we've seen with basketball and baseball so far that they are going to have some fake crowd noise that's pumped in to make it seem more authentic and I I guess if there's a positive about watching football on TV it's a bigger field width-wise and the way that they're going to be zoomed in it's going to be tough to tell from that perspective that there are not fans in the stands now the players it is going to be very weird now they haven't had fans at training camp which they normally do so there has been some things that have happened that should ease that adjustment once they get out there and you mentioned it the Seahawks have such a dynamic fan base that really provides an advantage last year didn't help on the scoreboard in the win-loss column went four and four at home which is unheard of for the Seahawks at CenturyLink Field but typically they are one of the best home teams in the NFL and the crowd brings it and so I'm wondering if you've watched the NBA at all Rob while they're in their bubble down there at Disney World they actually have some screens up where fans are able to cheer and they pipe that in. I don't know if the Seahawks or any NFL teams are going to be doing something similar. It's going to be tougher to facilitate that in a football stadium, but you've got to wonder if they are going to try to find ways to incorporate 
fans throughout the game so they can cheer even though they're not actually in the stands. Yeah, and, and Fox announcer Joe Buck mentioned this, that, that he thought, and this is way back in May, that, that he thought that, that Fox would be likely to be pumping in their own crowd noise. And, uh, you know, the, the NFL reportedly has been, uh, you know, kind of exploring the idea of each stadium be able to, to, to bring in some fan noise. Of course, there's always going to be questions about uh, just how is that going to be fair? What, what, the, what is the decibel level? What is the timing of that going to be? These are all things that are, are going to be kind of interesting to see how the NFL comes to their conclusions and and, and honestly I, I want I think the Mariners deserve a little bit of credit I mean they I've I've watched what they've done in the NBA and, and kind of showing some of the videos of their passionate fans and I think that's a great idea but as I mentioned with the Mariners the, the way that they've been able to uh, you know create those fans in the stands and, and kind of reward the, their passionate fan base I think that's something the Seahawks and, and all of the NFL all of sports should be emulating right now during these crazy times. Just like everything else that we've dealt with the last four or five months, we don't know what's coming up here. Everything is uncertain. So, of course, the Seahawks are going to keep things open for those last five home games. But the way things sit right now, the earliest that a limited capacity crowd will be at CenturyLink Field is on November 1st against the 49ers. Now, how cool would it be, though, Rob, if that was the first game where you could bring in 15,000, 20,000 fans that were socially distanced wearing masks to watch the Seahawks against their bitter division rivals. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it is kind of intriguing that that is the first game after this three games that we already know there will be no fans in the stands. Yeah, that would absolutely be the, the perfect game to, to come back to. Um, but obviously, as important as football is, and as much as it's you know exciting to think about that, it would be a huge step forward in our, our region, our state, our country, our world, if we are, in fact, able to scale down and, uh, and return to a little bit more of a, of a normal life. It's all about safety right now. And if you've been in a training camp practice, you can see how seriously the NFL has taken COVID-19. I don't anticipate that you're going to see the Seahawks, especially with the way things have been run in the state of Washington throughout this entire pandemic. I don't expect them to allow fans in unless they absolutely 110% are sure they can safely do so. And right now, we just are not in a position where it is safe to be able to do that. And so they made the right move. It was the expected one. Hopefully at some point this season, things can get better. And maybe, just maybe some of the 12s can descend upon CenturyLink Field and cheer on their team in person. When we come back in the second quarter, the Seahawks were back on the practice field today, a non-padded practice, but it may have been the most competitive session since they reported a few weeks ago. So we're going to break that down first on the offensive side of the football, some standouts, some observations. We'll be right back. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique 
remarkably easy to navigate, and all the parts are available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked in in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. We're going to be breaking down the Seahawks' seventh practice of training camp here today. We're going to start on the offensive side of the football. And I can tell you right now, Rob, it didn't matter whether you were watching the live stream, as many people were, or if you were like me and you were covering the practice in person at the VMAC. This was a very defensive-oriented practice. It was a very feisty practice, a lot of trash talking from both sides, and the defense really dominated. That being said, there were a few guys that really stood out on offense in a day where they weren't able to get much going offensively. There were a few guys that had standout days. There were. Uh, you know, th- there were a couple of big plays, and, and uh, not surprising, they were some, by some of Seattle's speediest receivers. Uh, you know, uh, Pete Carroll had mentioned in, in the press conference before that, that, that uh, Philip Dorsett um, is Seattle's fastest receiver during his time uh, with the Seahawks. And, and while that might surprise some people, considering that DK Metcalf, who uh, of course ran a 4-3-3 uh, at the combine a year ago and was just a rookie sensation uh, for the Seahawks, but that, that 4-3-3 is exactly what Philip Dorsett did. And then he ran a 4-2-8 at Miami's Pro Day a couple of weeks after the NFL draft. And there's a reason why he was a first-round pick by the Indianapolis Colts a year ago. And, and, and he was certainly one of the players that the, the limited times that we saw him on the telecast, that he made some plays. They, they talked about the fact that he is wearing number 11 in part at a, due to homage to Percy Harvin. And I know that there's a lot of Seahawks fans and they hear the, the name Percy Harvin that they kind of cringe, but I would remind those, those folks out there that that was the year the Seahawks actually won the Super Bowl. And, and so having a guy that has that type of dynamic ability, especially when you are pairing him with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Greg Olson and all the other weapons that Russell Wilson now has at his disposal, As you mentioned, Corbin, it was a defensive battle in practice today, but there were still flashes of the the, the speed that we've talked about is one of the reasons why we are so excited about the Seahawks in 2020. And Philip Dorsett, he's had some good quarterbacks playing with him, Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, Tom Brady in New England, but he's never really been in an offense that is built around taking shots downfield quite like the Seahawks do with Russell Wilson at the helm. And he also has never had two other electric speedy receivers alongside him like he has now in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. That is going to take a lot of pressure off him and is the third target. I think he has now really emerged. I thought for a while, even as early or recently as last week, that maybe John Ursua could push for that number three spot. I thought he had a good chance, but if you've watched the last few practices, you can really see that Russell Wilson is early and often targeting Philip Dorsett. His speed is very apparent out there getting open and coverage, especially on a day like today where the offense was having a hard time getting anything going. A lot of the receivers were not able to get away from coverage today. There were a number of coverage sacks on Russell Wilson, and a big part of that was just because the secondary had itself a day. But Philip Dorsett was the one guy 
who consistently on the outside, DK Metcalf made a few plays like he does every practice. But Dorsett was the guy that really stood out from that group today. And he had a drag that he ran where he was able to, uh, Wilson was able to thread the needle, get the football to him, and then he turned up field. And maybe in a game situation, we might have been making a house call there. But at practice, obviously, they blew the whistle and then they moved on to the next play. But I think Dorsett definitely has shown off that 4-2 speed, that legitimate blazing speed that he brings to the table. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with Pete Carroll about him being the fastest receiver they've ever had because if you watch him at practice, you can see he does have that Percy Harvin type electricity. And honestly, the good thing is he doesn't have some of the baggage that goes along with that. Now, I've mentioned this kid a couple times during training camp, and he just continues to impress me. I try to mix it up a little bit, but I can't keep my eyes off of number 31. And no, I'm not talking about Cam Chancellor. He has not made a comeback. DJ Dallas, who got permission to wear that number, the rookie out of Miami, just continues to make plays every single practice. Even in a day where the offense was bogged down, they were struggling to move the ball. He had a couple nice catches out of the backfield where he was able to create some yards after the catch. He had one run that he cut back. And again, they were playing without pads, so it's tough to evaluate. But still, showed off his vision. He cut back and had a big running lane. Probably would have picked up 20 or 30 yards minimum on that in an actual game situation. It was a parting of the sea as he saw it quickly cut back. And you've seen the physicality from him as well. He's just one of those guys I have not been able to keep my eyes off of during training camp because he's just really fun to watch. He plays hard. He's got a very versatile skill set. And as long as he continues to do stuff at practice, and if he shows up at that mock game coming up on Saturday, this kid is going to continue to really push Travis Homer for that third down job, as we've talked about time and time again. Yeah, we have talked about DJ Dallas a lot. And I think that is exactly the why we need to continue talking about him if he is deserving it. And, you know, when it comes to certain, I mean, I, I just trust your, your instincts uh, just as a, as a football evaluator, um, you know, virtually every position, but certainly at the running back position, especially when it, when it agrees with what my own eyes had shown me. And, and I'll be honest with you, Corbin, when I heard that, that you had a, that, the University of Miami had a running back that was going to just jump in and take over for what Travis Homer did the year before. I was a little bit skeptical, especially when the Seahawks drafted him back-to-back years. I thought, okay, I remember what Travis Homer was for Miami. This is a smaller back. This is a guy who's really, really tough, good hands out of the backfield, and is an exceptional blocker for his size. And then that was basically the early scout report I was getting on, on DJ Dallas as well, even though he has a completely different body style but his hands out of the backfield as a former wide receiver his, his physicality his awareness as a as a pass blocker as a running back which is of course very rare for a former wide receiver and then the balance after contact that, that he has shown uh not only in the in the training camp practices that i saw but but also during his you know his time at miami it was very intriguing and so i'm really excited about dj dallas i think that he is going to give travis homer an absolute run for his money I think it's very clear that 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 Seattle's top back of course is Chris Carson and they're very excited of course about what they're going to do with Carlos Hyde and Rashad Penny but I thought for those people who thought that perhaps DJ Dallas was just a kind of a you know just a, a fly-by-night kind of a day three selection we've got news for you DJ Dallas can play some ball he absolutely can and you mentioned the contact balance to me that is probably the thing that has jumped off the field the most from him aside from the fact that he's got incredible hands as a receiver which we knew he did because he played receiver when he first got to Miami 
So that background, you would expect he's going to have soft hands. But his contact balance, even in the practices that they've had so far, obviously they're not taking guys down to the ground, but you can tell some of the defensive players want to because they're tired of wrapping him up because he just runs physically and he's really hard to knock over because of that balance. He's got that short, squatty build. It's just He's just got such a unique build for the type of player that he is. You typically don't see – a guy that was a former receiver that's also built like a freight train like that and then has the contact balance and the ability to wiggle past people a little bit. He's just got a very unique skill set for his build, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Let's talk offensive line here real quick. We've talked about this guy quite a bit too, but I know you in particular, this was a player before we started the show that you were saying, man, this guy jumped off the screen to me watching what they were showing on the live stream, and I was really impressed with what I saw from him in individual drills, as well as the couple team sessions that they had today, playing some left tackle as well as right tackle. Former first-round pick, Cedric Abuehi. Yeah, Abuehi is just – you can just see the different level of athleticism that he has. You can see the natural tools. There's been a lot of talk about does he have the, the physicality, does he have the grit uh, that you're looking for. But I thought that it was fascinating today. I, I was watching the, the telecast, and, uh, and Aaron Levine mentioned that he thought he saw Dwayne Brown uh, step off the field. I, that I, I, I cannot confirm or, or you know at, at this point. But what I did see is that Cedric Abuehi got an off a lot of reps at this at the left tackle position alongside Seattle's regular starters and in the, the snaps that they showed on tape there was actually a couple of really nice zoom in shots that you could see Cedric Abue's quickness off the snap you could see him be able to use his hands his length very well uh, to set up uh, defenders and, and then there are a couple of different blocks that he made where he just washed down the defensive tackle and really created um, so, some running lanes and that was not always his forte. This is a guy who is, who is so light on his feet that pass blocking had kind of been more of his forte. You wanted to see that toughness. As you mentioned earlier, Corbin, this was a practice that did not have pads, and that's important. But at the same time, from what I saw on Tay, or what I saw watching it, this looked like one of the more physical practices. And I think that that's kind of fun because that's going to show the guys who really want to get after it. And a boy, he needs to do that. This is a guy that, again, is, was drafted high, but that doesn't mean anything at this stage in his career. Yeah, he's impressed me every practice I've been at. And I mentioned that run that DJ Dallas had where he cut back against the grain and had a bunch of yardage in front of him. Guess who had the block, the down block that set that up? Cedric Abuehi did. And the other play that jumped out to me early in that first open team session, he was going up against Shaquem Griffin, who quite frankly had a really solid day. He had a couple really nice rushes off the edge, and we know there is not an edge rusher on this team that has a faster first step than Shaquem Griffin. With that 4-3-8 speed he brings to the table, and at Boy, he did an excellent job dropping back in the bucket, getting into his pass set, and just completely eliminated the speed rush for Griffin, who had had his way with Seattle's other tackles on numerous attempts during this practice. And so we saw that in pass pro, you saw some stuff in run game and I know they didn't have pads on, but still when they've had pads on, I've seen him make some pretty nice blocks as well. Has he been beaten a few times? Of course it's going to happen in training camp. Russell Wilson throws interceptions in training camp. Even the best players make their mistakes out there in practice. That's where you want to do that stuff, not in games. So I've been impressed with boy. He, a few notes that I had down here. We've talked so much about BJ Finney, Ethan Posick seems to be distancing himself in the center position, but I did find it interesting. 
B.J. Finney got quite a few reps today at left guard. As far as I know, this is the first time that he had gotten any reps away from the center position. So that is telling to me as far as what they're trying to do at the center spot because you wouldn't be moving him if he was really going to be the front runner there to be the starter at the pivot position. And then with the receivers, we've talked about this a couple times. This is a really tough year for incoming rookies, especially the undrafted guys. Players like Cody Thompson and Penny Hart, who played in the practice squad last year, are at a major advantage because they knew the offense. They knew the offense coming in, and they've played with Russell Wilson and Geno Smith, and we can see that is really impacting their standing on the depth chart. Cody Thompson got quite a few reps in the first team today, and Penny Hart got some reps up there playing with Russell Wilson in the first team as well. So you're seeing some of these guys that are now in their second year that got a little bit of experience on the practice field last year that it's starting to pay dividends for them, especially with the rookies at such a disadvantage. I, I 100% agree with you. And I think that when you develop Russell Wilson's trust, then th that, that's when you have a, a chance to, to really explode. And as you mentioned with, with Cody Thompson and, and with Penny Hart, they, they had that opportunity of spending time with Seattle in the practice squad a year ago. I think that you're, you're just seeing that come to fruition, that, that, that rapport that's already been built up. Penny Hart with the terrific quickness that he's always shown, even though he doesn't have the elite straight line speed. Cody Thompson has an elite straight line speed either but at the same time he has great size he has the body control and they both have those sticky plucky hands to be able to pull passes in and and make big plays so exciting to hear that they're both continuing to kind of rise to the occasion here what really surprised me looking at Thompson's the fact that he had the fastest short shuttle of any receiver in the 2019 combine he was tied with Paris Campbell and we know how dynamic of an athlete that Paris Campbell was coming out of Ohio State. And so I think people look at Cody Thompson, they think, you know, he just looks like your traditional average athlete slot receiver, but he's actually pretty darn athletic, and he has shown that on the field. And, of course, we talked about Penny Hart a lot on the show too, that he was a 4'6 guy in the 40, but he plays faster than that, and he certainly plays quicker than that on the football field as well. So both those guys hanging in there in the competition – now a week into training camp. When we come back for the third quarter, we're going to talk about defense because, as I mentioned, that was the side of the ball that really dominated today's practice session. So we're going to talk defense and some trash talking when we come back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host, Rob Rang. We just had a chance to break down the few and far between offensive takeaways from today's practice. The big reason why that was the case, this defense continues to show that it is dramatically improved from the unit last year. It's faster on the field. And really what I love today, Rob, you mentioned the physicality, even though it was a non-padded practice. There was just so much intensity out there and that starts with the first standout performer that we have to discuss here. I know that we've talked about him a ton of the show, but the tone is clearly already being set by Jamal Adams at the strong safety position. He's a really, really good football player, Corbin. And of course, you know that. And there's a lot of our listeners who know that. And anybody who has listened to us talk about how excited that we both are, they, they probably know that too, because they probably watched highlight tapes. But I'm telling you, having scouted as long as I have and, and watching players come out of LSU, I mean, what I still consider with all due respect to Ohio State and certainly the University of Washington, but for me, 
LSU is DBU and Jamal Adams is as good as I've ever seen. I mean, he just, he is an instinctive player. He is a physical player. He's a fast player and he just makes plays. And so if you want him to be a rusher, he can be a rusher. If you want him to play back, he can play back. He's got the speed, he's physical and he's intense. The, the Seahawks have had such an incredible history at the safety position as we've talked about, but this is another one. And, and if they're, in, in my opinion, I know, I know that there was a lot of people who were just, you know, tearing their hair out in frustration when the Seahawks gave up two first round picks for a safety. That doesn't make any sense in all of the different statistics and all the other, you know, numbers and things that they have. But this guy is an absolute playmaker. And, and in, in my opinion, when they brought him in, it made the Seahawks go from being a playoff contender to a Super Bowl contender with one swipe of the pen. And, and so that's the thing is that I am not at all surprised Jamal Adams is making this type of impact. And it's, it's good to hear because he needs to be able to bring up Seattle's level of, of, of intensity because that was one of the things, frankly, on the defensive side of the ball, I thought the Seattle was lacking a year ago. They didn't have the edge last year. They didn't have the speed overall, and they lacked the edge. You just fixed both of those issues by bringing in Jamal Adams. He makes play after play after play on the practice field. And today, especially, when he does make those plays, he's going to let you know about it. And that is what made today's practice so much fun to watch during the first team session. For those that are wondering how much the Seahawks are going to let Jamal Adams freelance or how much they're going to let him blitz, I think that today indicated they're not going to do it as much as the Jets did. That's not going to happen because they run different defenses. But you can't tell me that Pete Carroll and Ken Norton Jr. don't know how special this player is, and they are going to take advantage of his pass rushing skills. When you watch him, Rob, in their individual pass rushing drills, he looks like an edge rusher with the way that he uses his hand technique. He is not somebody that just blitzes off the edge and he's untouched. And that's how he gets all the sacks that he does. He actually can use his hands well when, he's, when an offensive tackle is attempting to block him. And it's just so much fun to see how seriously that he takes it. He takes everything seriously on the practice field. It's been evident since day one. And that's why he is such a special player. And that's why he was worth the price that they gave up. We got to see what he does on the game field. But he has been tearing it up every single practice. He looks the part of a player that you would trade two first-round picks for. Now, going to the defensive line, the other player that really jumped out to me, there were a bunch of standouts on defense today. As I said, it was 90% defense dominated this entire practice. I've got to give Alton Robinson another shout-out because, you know, you and I talked about it. That first practice, is he a little bit too heavy? He doesn't look quite as quick as I anticipated this is now three practices in a row that I have been at the VMAC that number 98 has jumped out to me for positive reasons. Today, he had a pass defense of the line of scrimmage. He realized, I'm not going to get home. He got his long arms up, swatted the pass down when Russell Wilson threw it. He had a tackle for loss where he split the B gap and rocketed into the backfield and was able to gobble up the running back. I believe it was Carlos Hyde on that play, actually, that he gobbled up. And then he had a couple other really nice rushes off the edge. He looks much quicker than he did that first day. What a difference a week makes. He just looks more comfortable out there in the individual drills. And so the other thing that I was encouraged by, I was close enough to be able to hear coaches, you know, the coaching staff barking at Alton Robinson about something technical. And literally the next rep, he cleaned it up and I had it almost perfect. So this guy is a very quick study. 
Those type of players are the ones that are going to rocket up depth charts very quickly. So they might not have Daryl Taylor yet, but Alvin Robinson is starting to look like a really good fifth-round pick. Yeah, I think that he's got a chance to splash. Uh, you know, as you mentioned with Daryl Taylor, I mean, there's a lot of expectations uh, on Seattle's rookie pass rushers this year. They, they were the two that I, I basically thought were, were were the guys that outside of the first round were, were perhaps the best matches for what Seattle was looking to do. Um, and, and so I and you've seen Alton Robinson be a very successful player. At the same time, that, that senior year was not the, the, the standout campaign that I was expecting, and that certainly scared me off. And the, having watched him at the senior bowl practices day in day out during the practices which is usually what gets the most attention from the nfl scouts because there's a lot of one-on-ones and things like that he was good not great but during the actual game itself he had two sacks he he was the best one of the best players on, on the field in my opinion and and so that's the thing is that I think that he realizes that that basically that game situation is right now with these training camp situations. And I, I think that he is a player who is absolutely taking advantage of the fact that he is getting a few more snaps and a few more eyes and he's making some splashy plays. So really excited to hear about the success that he's having. Let's look at the linebackers. Now we talk about them time and time again, because of how much depth that there is at the position. We're constantly talking about how great Bobby Wagner is, K.J. Wright, Mr. Reliability, Jordan Brooks, the first-round pick. How's he performing? I thought that second tier of linebackers had another really solid day today. Cody Barton may be the best that I've seen him look so far in camp at a couple nice plays, both in coverage and defending the run. Shaquem Griffin, a couple really nice rushes off the edge. They're doing a good job mixing him in at Sam linebacker as well as playing that Leo defensive end position, getting some work at both spots. And then Ben Burkirvan, I mentioned him a couple episodes ago, had a pretty solid practice today. It was another one of them. He had two pass deflections in coverage. One of them was all over the running back. I believe it was Travis Homer and knocked the ball away, had a play on the outside that he rocketed over in pursuit and made a play on the running back for what would have been a tackle for loss. And he had another play where he was able to stuff the running back in the line of scrimmage. So we know that BBK is a player. We saw it at Washington. He led the nation in tackles that year. It seems like he has really taken his game to another level here after this offseason. He just looks much more comfortable out there. I don't know how much bigger that he actually is, but he certainly is playing stronger than he did as a rookie. And it's impacting him positively. Yeah, I Unfortunately, I wasn't able to see those same things on the telecast. But what I can go back to is, of course, his tape at Washington, where I saw one of the most instinctive linebackers in all of college football. And then he went to, uh, you know, the, his combine workouts and running in the four fives, which just absolutely blew my mind, uh, you know, just because that is not what I thought I saw on tape. But it is a, it's an example uh, or, or I should say an illustration of, of his work ethic and, and just how much he, how much time he committed to, to making himself that much more dynamic of an athlete. And as well as I mentioned with his instincts, uh, because there are, there are a lot of guys who run fast, but don't play fast. And, and Ben Burke has proven himself that he can do both. I do have some reservations about his size and, you know, an ability to hold up at the point of attack. If Seattle is not able to keep blockers off of him, uh, you know, he had a big, defensive tackle in Vita Vea, um, you know, it, that was playing ahead of him at the University of Washington. I think the Seattle's going to have 
to duplicate that for BBK to have that similar type of success on, on defense. But in terms of special teams, my goodness, between he and Cody Barton and the speed they have, the special teams coach that you have in, in Larry Izzo, a former linebacker who made cut his teeth, made made himself a, a, a really an NFL special teams legend, in my opinion, uh, with the Miami, mostly with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, I, I think that is the recipe for success for BBK because clearly, as you talked about, Corbin, Seattle's depth of the linebacker position is going to make it so that a, a player like Ben Burkirvin is going to have to splash on these opportunities and, and probably make his, uh, make his hay on, on special teams. I want to give a shout out to one undrafted rookie here real quick because, in fact, this is the same player, Davion Renfro out of Texas A&M. The first practice, I remember a coach ripping him because he was on the scout offense. It was just all DBs running a drill together. And he ran like a 50% route, pass went right through his hands. Coaches screaming at him to pick up his effort. He has picked up his effort, and he actually had a really good day today. He had a couple plays where he was in coverage against DK Metcalf. And one of them, he was able to get his hand on the ball. And the second one, he was suffocating him in coverage. And when Metcalf tried to come back to the football, the throw was kind of low. And the coverage was so physical against him that he couldn't haul in the catch when he got to the ground. And I saw the coaching staff really fired up about that. So you're seeing a guy that's got long arms. He's got the height and the athleticism that Seattle likes, that corner position. He's trying to fight just to hang around, maybe be a practice squad guy, if he's able to put together a couple of practices like that, maybe this is a player that you can develop that a year or two down the road could be part of your defense. Yeah, he could be. I mean, he, he's got the, as you mentioned, he's got the long arms. He's got the lineage playing at Texas A&M going to SEC competition. And, you know, I, I kind of talked before about Alton Robinson and how there was some concerns about just the fact that he didn't have the, you know, the big senior season after having really being a, a difference maker for Syracuse Orange earlier in his career. Same thing with Debbie Renfro. It was the ups and downs that really scared people off and, and why he was an undrafted free agent. He was a guy that I, I watched on tape and I, I like a couple of, of Seattle's undrafted free agent uh, rookie corners. So I think that if there is going to be an undrafted free agent this year that, that, that surprises us all, and not only as making the roster, but as a practice squad kind of guy, I would not be surprised at all if it comes in the secondary, even though, as we just mentioned, that's one of Seattle's deepest units. Got to remember, Quentin Dunbar and Shaquille Griffin are both heading towards free agency too. So there is a little bit of urgency to try to develop a young corner at that position. Speaking of corners, Quentin Dunbar did finally get some reps today at right cornerback. Trey Flowers got most of them. He was the starter, but we did finally see Dunbar in some team defensive drills today. So that's a good sign moving forward in training camp. Jaron Reed had a pretty disruptive day today, a few plays in the backfield. That's encouraging, especially after he was battling an injury last week. And of course, another solid day, Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa rushing off the edge. And so a number of defenders had big days. We could have had standout performers for the entire show on the defensive side of the football. They looked that good. That's a very encouraging sign for the Seahawks, who now have less than a month until they travel to Atlanta to play the Falcons in their season opener. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on our Friday show, I'm going to be joined by Nick Lee. We're going to be previewing the upcoming mock game coming up on Saturday at CenturyLink Field. This is the closest that we're going to get to a preseason game this month. The Seahawks having two of those mock games, first one coming up 
here on Saturday. Can't wait to break that down. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.